Welcome to Conversations with Big Rich. This is an interview-style podcast. Those interviews are all involved in the off-road industry. Being involved, like all of my guests are, is a lifestyle, not just a job. I talk to competitive teams, racers, rock crawlers, business owners, employees, media and private park owners, men and women who have found their way into this exciting and addictive lifestyle. We discuss their personal history, struggles, successes, and reboots. We dive into what drives them to stay active and off-road. We all hope to shed some light on how to find a path into this world we live and love and call off-road. Whether you're crawling the Red Rocks of Moab or hauling your toys to the trail, Maxxis has the tires you can trust for performance and durability. Four wheels or two. Maxxis tires are the choice of champions because they know that whether for work or play, for fun or competition, Maxxis tires deliver. Choose Maxxis. Dread victoriously. Have you seen Four Low Magazine yet? Four Low Magazine is a high-quality, well-written, four-wheel drive-focused magazine for the enthusiast market. If you still love the idea of a printed magazine, something to save and read at any time, Four Low is the magazine for you. Four Low cannot be found in stores, but you can have it delivered to your home or place of business. Visit fourlowmagazine.com to order your subscription today. On today's episode of Conversations with Big Rich, we have Taylor Anderson. Taylor is the uh, he's an off-road racer, off-road business owner. Um, he was uh, w- one of the, I think, I believe one of the startup guys with Rigid Industries, the lighting company. I know he was VP and he is a designer and uh, won some awards for some of the stuff that they designed. Taylor, it's really good to have you on board and... Uh, haven't talked to you in a while, so it's good to good to do this. Yeah, thanks for calling, Rich. It's uh, it's uh, exciting to do, and it's uh, good to rehash the past a little bit. I've been out of it for a little bit here on the business side, so uh, it'll be fun. Right. So let's start off right away. And uh, where were you born and raised? I was born in Mesa, Arizona. Uh, raised uh, in Arizona, I never left. So I am literally about five miles from the hospital I was born at. Okay. And uh, a mile away from my high school, and uh, I'm still here. I just, I like Arizona enough to where we never felt the need to leave. Right. I get it. Um, I love Arizona, but I love Arizona more in the wintertime. Yes. Than <laughs> I do little, in the summer. A little summer. more desirable. <laughs> Everybody does, by the way. So, you know, we just got back from running some errands, and um, I think everybody is here in Arizona right now uh, on the roads, so. Yes, that's true. Every every car you can imagine, and and it'll be that way until the beginning of March, and yep. then the, and then the snowbirds leave. Yep, exactly. And then we leave once once it starts to get hot. We actually do head up north to uh, a cabin that we have up there. So. Oh, very good. Still in Arizona. Yep. Oh, yeah, right. about two hours uh, two hours from our home. Okay. Okay. Cool. Or cooler. Yes. <laughs> Much cooler and. Uh, and uh, much, uh, much uh, less in the population, and uh, it's just uh, it's a nice little escape for us, and we really enjoy it. So, growing up in Mesa, um, at that point when you first started, you know, when you were 
just a little kid, it was a lot more rural than it is now, correct? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We had dirt roads everywhere, and the edge of town dropped off about 500 feet from my house, and it just turned into orange groves. And that was the that was our playground. Okay. That's where we were with our, uh, our first, I think we had, we had a Honda 110 ATC was the first one. And then after we wore that thing out, I ended up somehow with a 250R and, you know, of course, tried to kill myself many, many times on that. But uh, that was my, that was my mode of transportation. And growing up in that area, was your family involved in like hunting or fishing or off-roading at that time? Not so much off-roading. You know, I grew up in a, in a camping family, so we'd go camping every few weeks. And, and then I, I think I joined Scouts at probably age 11 or 12. And I was in a, in a Scout troop that camped once a month. Okay. All, all over Arizona. So I got to see the, the parts of Arizona that I, you know, I didn't when I was younger and, and learned, learned uh, just a lot about the state, the history, and, and had a really good time doing it. Oh, that's cool. And more importantly, got out of the out of the heat of the summer. And, you know, we used to go up north. You always go up north. We rarely went south. Okay, I can understand that. That the more trees up north, pine trees, baby. Yep, yep. The cool pines of Arizona. A lot of people think it's just a big desert here, but it's actually uh, about half desert and about half pine. So, right, but it's it's really desert, and then it's really piney. You know, yeah. there's a, that, yeah. that, 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 yeah. that transitionary like happens instantly. It does. It does. Our cabins, you know, almost 8,000 feet. And, uh, I think our home down in Mesa is, you know, 2000 feet. So there's, there's quite a swing when you, when you get going up, head up the highway. Right. So did you, uh, you went to, you were in Mesa, um, a, a mutual friend of ours wanted me to ask you first, Three reasons why Dobson High will always be better than Mountain View. <laughs> well, <clears throat> so Dobson High, and I know who this person is. And, um, <laughs> uh, Dobson High, it was it was a cute school back in the day. You know, they have a a little horse as their mascot, and that was you know, like a, I think it's a a pony, the Dobson ponies. <laughs> and uh at Mountain View we have Toros, so you know, we're just a big badass bull. And um I think they won a game, one football game back in the day, but we won the rest of them. So, you know, it's it's cool. And I, I appreciate his his uh interest in, in where I went to high school. <laughs> he just I don't think he could go there, it's probably he was too far. But um <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Jeremy Hammer, of course. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Hammer. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Good friend, good friend. So, so growing up out there riding, um, ATC and the, and the motorcycle, um, what was the first car you got to drive? First car would have been my grandfather's Ford and he had a, I believe it was a bump side long bed. It was, I think it was green or white. You know what? I can't remember. Okay. I can't remember, but I remember driving that, uh, at a very young age, sitting on his lap out in Phoenix. He had a place he lived on the, on the West side. And we'd go out and cruise around. So that was my, my love affair with Ford must've started back then. Okay. And, and, uh, in school, were you, um, a good student or did you just get by or 
What was what was schoolwork like for you? Yeah, I had to work my ass off to get by. Okay. I was um, you know, back before ADHD came out, I think I definitely had it. And um we just called it an inability to focus on school because it just wasn't interesting to me. So anything I could do to uh to not work on schoolwork was was what I was trying to do. I'd even clean my room if I had homework. I mean, that's how bad it was. <laughs> and did you do you have brothers and sisters? I do. Yep. Okay. I've got a brother who was actually uh, one of my partners in Rigid uh, when we started. Okay, that's what and, I thought. Uh, yeah, and then another brother who uh, works with my dad still, and they do house maintenance and uh, association neighborhood maintenance. Okay. So yeah, it came, you know, a little bit of a construction background, and I spent some time doing that as well. I set tile for a few years um, before I before I, you know, got into the off road stuff. Right. And, uh, what was that transition, um, for you, like going grade school and then high school and then going, you know, whatever happened after high school? Um, the transition, you mean like into off-road or just, no, where did just, I, where just did in I life in general, you know? Well, yeah, I spent, you know, after high school, I spent, a about six years trying to finish a college degree. <laughs> Never, uh, <laughs> worked out. Is that ADHD? Um, <laughs> there was, that's that's what that was probably, or or you know beer. I went to ASU, so it was um it was full of distractions. Right. <laughs> and uh, then I I did some community schools after that, and never ended up getting my degree. I just I, I was a, a student for a while, and then decided that working with my hands was something that I think I enjoyed more. I could focus on, and and it made me money. So it was. Uh, it was it was my path. And what kind of uh, what kind of employment were you doing at that time? Uh, well, I started. I was working at a camping store out in uh, Tempe, which was by ASU. So I was selling camping gear and still going camping quite a bit, going skiing, and um, then it just led you know into into a, a work environment where I I just started working inside and got into doing some sales was working for a, a nut bolt and screw company for a long time. Um, and then ended up uh, from there actually getting involved with uh, a guy who started a, an off-road company. And that's how I got started in off-road was uh, with the Yamaha Rhino okay. of all things. That's when that thing took off in the, in the early 2000s. Um, my brother and I both were, were part of uh, a company there, Dragonfire, that actually started. And um, that's where we, I guess that's where we cut our teeth in off-road and we discovered it. You know, okay. went, to my first, went to my first race, went to my first sand show, went to my first off-road expo and just discovered something that was, uh, that was you know, I was aware of, but I was never a part of. Right. I remember meeting the Dragonfire guy. Um, I can't even remember his name now. Todd Romano. Yes, Todd Romano. That's right. And yeah, it was uh, yeah. down at the Sand Show, and I was putting on We Rock events, or might have even been Cal Rocks at the time, um, before we went national. But uh, we were trying to get the UTVs involved with with the events. Right, right. Yeah, they made a, a big splash, and I think they were really kind of a bridge to off-road for a lot of people who could you know, afford something to get them in the dirt. You know, versus a, a buggy or a class one car or, 
you know, anything else. Right. And I think that, that even now it's, it's still a segue for people to get involved with motorized sports. Um, oh yeah. Oh yeah. You know, cause yeah, the, it's still entry level. It's still <laughs> what would be considered entry level into motorsports. Yeah. 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 It's funny. I was just talking about this the other day with, um, with a cat named Joey D D Giovanni. If you know Joey, oh, D, yeah. I'm sure you do. And we were laughing, um, about the first time. So I think Scanlon, Craig Scanlon was involved in bringing out the first razor, uh, trailers to Arizona. So we could test these machines that, that Polaris had come out with. And it was the razor 700. And we were invited obviously because we were making aftermarket parts and, uh, we showed up out in, in Phoenix somewhere and there's, you know, 10 of these things sitting there and we're like, Oh, look at that thing. It's, you know, they were sportier than the Yamaha Rhino was. And, way faster and we ended up uh gearing up and and we did a whole test day out there at this track they set up and um we were arguing the other day actually joey and i over who rolled one first and it was me and bill Schuler from jagged x and we right. rolled them on the same day and it's still an ongoing argument as, as to who rolled the, i think the very first razor uh ever and I think it was me, if you want to know the truth. <laughs> in in 2008, we took, you know, I was trying to get Polaris involved with with rock crawling. And they were like, we don't even know if we can rock crawl these things. And I said, yeah, you can. And so, you know, I threw a challenge out to him and I said, you know, let's get together and let's prove it. So we uh, they shipped four or five of them. In the dead of night, we had to transfer them in a residential area from a semi-truck that they were enclosed semi-truck into our enclosed race trailer. And then the next day, two engineers, the engineer that designed the S and his assistant, yep. and then the marketing lady who at the time was pregnant as well. Okay. And then we went out to this little test area in the rocks up in here in the Sierra Nevadas, and uh, we took... Uh, a couple of renowned rock crawlers, um, Dustin Webster, which was with team Red Bull, Jesse Haynes, who's like the reigning national champion rock crawler, um, for quite a while now. And then a guy named Bob Rogie, who was, uh, was one of the guys that helped me get Cal rock started and, and, you know, rock crawler and a pirate from pirate four by four, all that kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And then my kid, and then uh, one of his friends, and we went out there and wined and dined them, showed them what they could do, um, realized that it was something when you're rock crawling, you had to stay in the throttle. You don't, you know, if you're doing a big rocky climb, you don't want to stop and then restart. <laughs> yeah, that's that when you do. Well. <laughs> yeah, that's when you go ass over tea kettles, you know? So, yeah, um, yeah. but yeah, they, they really handled well. And then, uh, the lady in marketing was like all excited, thought, okay, this is going to be great. I like your idea. I like what you want to do. And uh, she took her leave of absence for having the baby. And uh, when she came back, there was somebody else in her spot, and she, they moved her back over to sleds, snow sleds. And then that guy, of course, was like, oh, no, we're not going to do that because that's not, you know, it wasn't his idea. <laughs> and so we never got involved with uh with the UTV side of it, you know, we get guys coming out once in a while, but not, not like they should be. Right. Know? Right. 
because it is a shame they're they're very very capable vehicles as as people are proving it like king of the hammers you know oh yeah 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 no there's a lot of them out there and and you know spec built machines that are that are you know just better for it you know they they cut them up a little bit more and make them a little bit more clearance and right and uh plenty of room to get in trouble out there yes <clears throat> so then um Dragonfire. How long? How long were you with Dragonfire? Uh, I think it was about a year and a half, maybe closer to two years. Okay. But um, you know, Dragonfire sold to a uh, uh, conglomerate called Mag Group. I think it was. So, you know, we went our separate ways, and and one of our customers was Jason Christensen, who had um, a Rhino aftermarket company called Rigid Industries. And when when um, we left Dragonfire. Uh, Jason asked my brother and I to team up, so we became two thirds of of Rigid at that time, and then started really getting heavy into the the aftermarket for the Rhinos. Okay, so then um, Rigid was already involved. Was Christensen already had um, Rigid he had, he Industries? Had, he did. Yeah, okay. he had the name. He had the name. He had the shirts. He had the logo. And it was it was really convenient, honestly, at the time to not have to start up a new a new thing altogether. And uh, he invited us in, so so the the, the Anderson brothers joined up, and, and that's when we became a, a threesome with partners there. Excellent. And how was the transition from building you know all these off road products for for side by sides into lighting? Because eventually it became just a lighting company, correct? It did. It did. Yeah. You know, we discovered that that um, once this this light that so we we got this light out of California and it was being used for something else, um, kind of for I believe it was building and 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 wall wash applications where it was lighting up the sides of buildings and and we said you know if we could get into this this automotive pattern this this system that would be mobile then we could actually do something with it because it was really amazing you know when we looked at it the first time and you know we all had our hid lights and our eagles and our whatever we could find back then is lighting kc lights you know baja designs we had them all we sold them all and then we we got this other light and we were just so impressed with it that we really really started pushing it and it, it got to the point to where you know we could build rhinos all day every day but the, the real money was coming from the lighting. You know, it was, it was something that it was easier. We just, we, we made it, we packaged it and we sold it instead of, you know, building rock crawlers and race cars all day, which anybody in the industry will tell you, there's just not a lot of money in it. <laughs> right. You can't charge, you can't charge for every hour you have into them. No, you can't. And, and, you know, some people do very well and, and God bless them, but uh, it wasn't, it wasn't our forte. So, we discovered the the light was going to be our, our pathway and we went in and, and purchased the patents for the technology uh, from the parent company and said, we're going to take this thing and we're going to put it into off-road. And that's how it started. That's how it started. We, uh, we were buying lights already boxed that were being made in, in Southern California. And then we took over the manufacturing process uh, in our little building in, in Mesa, Arizona and literally used to invite our friends over on the weekends like we were moving it's like hey if you show up we'll buy the pizza and the beer and you guys can help us put together these lights and uh, that's that's how that started 
you know, all the way to the, the trade shows. Those same guys would come and hang out at the trade show with us and we'd buy them a hotel room and they could sit in the booth and talk about the product. And, and uh, that's, that's how it got started. That's how it took off. And I guess it became a really popular product, um, not only because of the, the, the light pattern and how you can set them up and the variations and stuff, but the amp draw was, um, you know, HIDs, you know, you throw those things on and, you know, you'd, you'd lose, you know, 300 RPM, um, yeah. you know, without, yeah. you know, and you didn't lose the horsepower when you turned on the LEDs. Yeah, there were a lot of advantages back then. And if I, if I reached down deep, I could probably think of all of them. But, you know, they, they didn't have to warm up. They didn't take as much power. They they were very, very competitive as far as output went. And, you know, what we discovered and, and, and actually tested, if you remember our old videos, they were basically bulletproof. I mean, we could do anything. And, and we made those first couple of videos ourselves back in the day. And uh, just had a, a hell of a time beating the crap out of these lights and, and videoing it, making these little films. That was, uh, I really think, I really think what really helped us launch. And were they were, they were used in construction for, like you said, wall wash and that kind of stuff. Were they? Did they have an automotive application at that time, or did you guys just look at it and say we got to adapt this? We had to adapt it. Okay. To make it work and and. And it, it did. <laughs> so you guys, so. so rigid was was pretty much the innovator of LED lighting then for for automotive use. I believe so. You know, I, I think at the time, um, Vision X had also come out with one. Okay, but I don't know. I, I really believe we were first to the punch, and everything after that was was kind of a uh, you know a, a copy of some sort. But you know, they had started. Uh, slow, and then we were the ones that really brought it to market. We we brought it out and, and showed what it could do, and and I think you know that lifestyle. So what I would call it now is kind of this lifestyle campaign of of using these products and showing people and testing against other products and and just uh, trying to prove their worth. You know, which took a while. You know, people didn't believe it. You know, HID was king, and you know how can you be brighter than an HID? So it, it took that that groundwork and that, those trade shows and, and those conversations and that testing, everything that we could do to make it work. And it, it took a few years. Right. Right. And uh, what was what was the first product that you guys, I mean, I, I know obviously it's LED light, but I mean, was it a big light bar? Was it a pod? What was the first thing you guys came out with? Well, we uh, when we started, we had a, a 10 those are the linear light bars, right? So we had a 10, a 20, a 30, and a 40. And we immediately added a 50 because we put a tape measure across the front of my, my JK. I had a, an 08 JK four-door back then, Wrangler. And I had a buddy of mine mock up some brackets and we mounted it above the windshield and really felt like, you know, made it look like a spaceship, but it was it was just so cool to do that. So we came out with that 50 inch bar, and uh, I still have a picture of that Jeep uh, in my home office. If I could find it, it's in here somewhere. But uh, of, of the very first 50 inch light bar that was across the roof of a Jeep, as you well know, that it was greatly abused over the next 15 years. Yes, <laughs> everything and its brother, from double stacks to triple stacks to to everything. But you know, initially it was just it just fit there. So, so we expanded it to a 50 inch, uh, extrusion 
and, uh, and, and did that. And then we went the other direction and, uh, and on a cocktail napkin drew out the, what would become the Dooley, which was, I, I think our most popular product of all time. You know, it was a, a three inch pod, little, little Rubik's cube, we called it. And it, you could fit it anywhere. Uh, we made a tremendous amount of bracketry for different vehicles and different landing applications and just made it, you know, kind of our entry level. I think for 199 bucks, you could get a pair of those things and, you know, versus 500 for a 10 inch light bar, you know, which, which was a hard stretch for a lot of people and, and hard to understand back then. Right. So, you know, I, I credit the Dooley to, uh, to really being kind of our segue. Yeah. I've got a set on my Raptor in the bumper. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was, an, uh, that was another story. So the, the Raptor came out and what was that? 11, 10, or 10, 10, I mean, 10 the, the small motor and then 11, the six, two came out. Yes. So we had a customer who had had one of the very first Raptors here in town and that was ours to use. We, we built brackets for the windshield on that as well. And then that same friend of mine built brackets for the fog holes in the, in the stock bumper. So we had two on each side and I remember I think it was 1030 at night. He finally showed up and, and we mounted those things and they fit in the hole. And so that was our, uh, that was our, our first Raptor mount. Let's <laughs> put those, actually the first vehicular mount ever for the Dooley's was in that, in that okay. Ford Raptor. Okay. And then did you guys, you guys produced a, a replacement grill as well, didn't you? Yep. Yep. Grills were, they were a few years down the line, but that was a, a stretch for us to, to get, automotive lighting into vehicles that weren't necessarily off-road you know they could they could be a fog light it could be you know mounted into a, a stock vehicle people were putting grills on everything back then it was a huge craze back before uh before the you know the automotive the big three or the big four came out and started really making trucks look good right um, w- with nice grills and all that that was that was an easy way to get stuff mounted so the what was probably the the most popular product that you guys produced? I liked your flashlight. Oh yeah, the the halo, the original right. halo. Yep, <clears throat> that was pretty cool. Um, that was another one of those little wow factor deals that you know just it just impressed people because it was so bright. Um, so that was good. That was another another thing that you know was was more affordable than a thirty or forty inch light bar. Um, but I'd say overall you know, the, the granddaddy of them all it really is that Dooley, you know, the, the original Dooley, which was, you know, the little four bulb. And then of course we went into the, the Dooley pro and we had, you know, we, we, we upsized it into a larger version and an even larger version in the, in the Q series. But, you know, if you were to, to do a count on a number of units sold, the Dooley is the winner hands down. Right. And I want to get into the transition of the business and then you running it after the sale, um, if that's cool. But before we jump that far in, ahead, let's talk about your racing and how that, how that came about. Oh, my racing came right after the sale of Rigid. Okay. Uh, which, you know, bef- before I forget, there were four of us partners in there. Right. So that was my brother, my brother, Seth and I, and, and Jason, and then we brought Steve in, I think about a year after the three of us teamed up. So there was Steve Adams, Jason Christensen, me and my brother, Seth. But um, right after we sold the company, um, I, I think we all thought we were going to stay on 
and, and help, but it didn't work out that way. Um, big business changes things and, and methodology changes and, and, you know, programs change. And for some reason, I ended up being the only one that stayed on uh, long term. And it was in my, my marketing capacity. So I did have some good relationships at the time. And, and I think I had some value there. I was also the, you know, the gatekeeper for culture. I really was, was big on, on how we were internally, um, not just externally, you know, how we treated our employees, how we ran our business from the inside. And, and I think it was important for a while, uh, for me to, to keep my hands on that and, and, um, help guide them a little bit. And I, I did it for five years. Um, and then, uh, then I decided to, to step away and, and do my personal stuff. But the racing, the question, the answer to your question is the racing started right after that. Um, I had always wanted to race. Um, trophy trucks were, were really, really cool. And I don't know if I was ready to make that financial commitment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I think you, everybody thinks they are. They think they can, you know, I could, you know, if I could just get in a trophy truck, I can go and drive and win races. And um, I did, I think as well, until I got into a trophy truck with a driver and that actually was BJ Baldwin. And uh, we went out and did, I think I did a half a day with him uh, out of his, his track out in Vegas on the outskirts of Vegas out there and, and realized rather quickly that I was not going to win any races <laughs> right? <laughs> because the talent level and the, and the, and the practice and the training and everything that goes into what these guys accomplish, it's, it's real. It's the real deal. So I need a, a lesser version of that, which <laughs> turned out to be vintage, vintage truck racing uh, with Nora and the Nora platform. And, and I had watched a truck get built up on race desert uh, for a couple of years by the uh, a guy by the name of Matt Parks. He built a 74 uh, dent side. Uh, it was an old pre-runner truck that was built by Randy LaFortune, I believe, who was in the Walker Evans group for a while. So, you know, as far as I was concerned, it was a, it was a formidable vehicle and, and it had been completely restored. Uh, and you might recognize it as the Paps Blue Ribbon truck. Right. Uh, it was called the Hay Hauler. Or no, the beer, not the hay hauler. That was Gordon's. It was called the beer hauler. Sorry. Um, so I, I it took me six months to talk Matt out of out of that truck, and I finally got my hands on it, and immediately took it out to the desert. It scared the shit out of me. Um, you know, I had a four twenty seven Cobra in it, a great transmission, um, about eleven inches of travel, which which I treated like it was twenty. <laughs> but uh ended up at my first uh sitting sitting at the start line on my first Nora race i think it was probably 17 17 or 18 i can't remember exactly but uh and then and then did that that first Nora race which you know if, for those of you who aren't familiar it's it's from ensenada to cabo uh it takes five days and and to me it was it was honestly it was it was like the cannonball run in the dirt and I had the most fun I'd, I'd ever had in my life. And that just got me hooked. I actually happened to win my class. Um, had a great crew down there helping me keep the truck together that, you know, I just pounded to death every day and, and would, uh, would wake up, you know, after little to no sleep and get it back on the truck and just do it again. And, um, 
you know, you know the feeling. It's it's just it's amazing. Right. It's amazing. And and getting to do it in an old vintage truck is is something that that I thought about for a long time. And you know, I'm I'm racing next to these trucks that I that I knew. You know, the Scoop Vessels truck was was behind me at the starting line and you know, Walker Evans was racing in the, in the same race. And it was just, it was an amazing, an amazing process to see it all come together down there and to be a part of it. Uh, I did three years before I, I broke my truck so much that it's been under the knife now for about two years. So COVID knocked the race out for the first year. So it just seemed like a good year to rebuild everything. And it's actually, it's supposed to be done here uh, in about a month and a half. So oh, good. Yeah. So then with, uh, I thought your racing started a little earlier than that, but, uh, that makes total sense. The, no. <clears throat> the, the nice thing about Nora, um, is that I like the idea of the stage racing. It's, yeah. it, it, I think it's easier on the crews and on the, the teams. Yeah. Yeah, it is. It is. And the drivers. Right. I mean, you know, it goes into that. Any anything in Baja, it's a, it's a, it's a wild trip, and and I, I still haven't mastered the art of keeping my truck together long enough to race it more than a day. So <laughs> I think <laughs> there's a lot to be said for that, and um, you know, just just saving your equipment. I'm getting better, but uh, it's 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 a challenge for a guy like me because <laughs> I just see somebody and. And they just need to be passed. So you do whatever you can to pass them. <laughs> yeah, I have that. I have that problem. Um, I don't. I I haven't actually officially ever entered a race. Um, there was a competition that we did, and there's a an Arizona guy named Ryan Miller that runs with uh, Campbells and stuff. And yeah, he uh, he was in this thing that I was in. In fact, and Charlene Bauer was the one that was, uh, I think, was um, that ended up winning it. But it was part of this of Trail Hero, my son's event. Oh yeah, and it was uh, something that Val Douglas put together, and you did a lap, which was quite a long lap, and then the second lap you went in, and there was things that you had to accomplish. You know, like. driving, you know, blindfold and you're getting spotted through the rocks by the spotter and you're driving blindfolded. And then there was like a tire change and, you know, there was these different elements to it as on the second lap. Well, luck of the draw, I get like third to last start and there's a girl behind me and I'm in my Cherokee, which is just, I mean, there is no up travel. I have like an inch and a half, two inches of up travel. It's all down travel because it's built for rock crawling. Right, right. So we're You're going. On the bumps. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going across um, the sand out there at Sand Hollow, and this girl in this uh, Toyota pickup truck that's total pre-runnered out. You know, I mean, multiple shocks and bypasses and all this kind of stuff. She just goes blowing right by me in this pre-runner, and I'm like, okay, well, I'm not, I'm not going to catch her in this stuff. And then Ryan Miller in this little TJ that he has that they called the rally Jeep goes screaming past me. And I'm, and my wife had told me, said, okay, we're going to do this, but it's not a race. And I said, you really, you know, I, I, I don't play board games. 
I don't, I'm not a very good competitor. I'm not a good winner and I'm not a good loser. Um, I'm probably a worse winner because if I beat somebody at something, I'm going to let them know about it forever. You know, and so I can kind of, you know, I, I get this Dr. Jekyll, Mr. Hyde thing going and Ryan Miller goes past me and I, all of a sudden I'm just on the throttle and Shelly's not enjoying it at this point because I've turned it into a race, but now I know I'm the last (laughs) car on course. Right. And I could see the two people that just passed me just smoking me. So I tried not to, to go. Finally, she goes about halfway around the track. She goes, all right, just stop. We're having lunch. And I'm like, we're what? <laughs> so I kind of, I'm kind of freaking out, right? Okay. I get out of the truck, you know, we have a soda, we have some water, we eat a sandwich, you know, piece of fruit or something like that. And the whole time I'm trying to get back in the, in the Jeep. And she's like, no, 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 no. We're, we're going to, we're going to enjoy this. And I'm just like, you know, it's just driving me nuts. Right. Okay. Well, finally she lets us get back in the truck, we, or the Jeep, we get going again. And before we get to the first part of the, the first of the challenges, I smack an undercut, blow a rim up. I have no spare with me because I didn't want to carry the extra weight. Totally blew this, the spare up. Tire's still good. But here I am stuck in the middle of the course in a real narrow spot. Now, they had a recovery right around the corner. So they, they finally got me out of there, having to drag me out. And uh, that's when Shelly says, okay, we never have to compete again. <laughs> well, you might be the bravest guy I know if, if you're going to put your wife next to you in a race car. So that's <laughs> something I would, I would never even consider that. That would. Well, I wasn't the one considering it. She wanted to do it, and she—I'm the driver, you know. She uh, she can drive, but she, you know, I'm the driver, and uh, yeah, it's uh, it, it's it's I'm too hyper competitive at anything, so it's uh, yeah. I don't even play board games. I, I learned that with my kids because you know there was no way I was going to let a six year old beat me in any board game, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Of course, that's probably why my kids are the way they are. So anyway, <laughs> so yeah, it, uh, it takes a special kind. <laughs> yeah. So then, um, one of the things that I know, so we did a, we came by and did a, a shop visit with you guys. Um, oh my God. It was probably, I want to say 16. Michelle and I want stopped by and, one of the things that I, and that's when all your manufacturing was done in your, in your warehouse. Um, every, you know, everything was put together there. Your employees just seemed happy. And yeah, they were, they it were. was, it was refreshing <laughs> to see. Yeah. And that yeah, was, no, a, we had a, we had a great group of people and, and they took care of us and, and likewise we took care of them. You know, we had a, we had a fun time. It was a, it was a really fun time. I miss it. Right. And that, uh, with the change with the, with the sale of the company, um, that, that kind of, that you guys, they took it out of house, didn't they? They did. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, anytime I think something like that happens and you, you get a, a real big outfit that comes in and buys a, you know, a family business basically, which is what we were. 
Um, you know, we can be disappointed about how it how it changed, but it's just inevitable. That's that's why they that's why they bought you. Um, and I, I think it was my wife that that reminded me at the time. She says, you know, you sold your right to complain when you sold it, and um, and that was true. You know, I could I could do whatever I whatever I could do while I was still there to to try to keep everything the way that I wanted it to be. But you know, it's probably not the most cost efficient way to run things. You know, we we would bring food trucks in on the once a month. We would you know you get free lunch on your birthday. We did all kinds of fun parties and chili cookoffs and. You know, it's just hard to hard to do that if you're a you're a big outfit. They don't care as much as as we did, quite honestly. They just they don't. It's more about the dollars, right? So. It's, and that's and that's happened to one of the things that I've noticed in off road recently is that these investment firms have stepped in and purchased, you know, everything. I mean, like Polaris yeah, yeah. with Transamerica, and then mm-hmm. and then Wheel Pros you know, with Transamerica and it's just, you know, everything that is coming, you know, these conglomerates are just swallowing people up and uh, it's, it, the the guys that had the businesses and sold them, I think it's a good thing because a lot of those guys were like, you know, I'm overworked. I need time. I want to spend more time with my family or my wife or whatever. Oh yeah, for sure. For but sure. I don't know if it really does the industry any good. But I can't blame any of a, anybody for for bailing. No, it's a it's a wicked circle, and you know you can you can look at it a lot of different ways. But for us to to finally get out of that, you know, fifty to eighty hour week that we had been doing for ten years, twelve years, um, you know, all of us had young kids, and it was a challenge all the time. You know, we were we were flying back from trade shows. I remember SEMA every year we would all fly home for Halloween and literally do the trick or treating. And then at midnight, hop back on the plane to get back so we could be at the show in the morning. You know, that's the kind of stuff we were, we were able to do, but a lot of people weren't and, you know, you, you miss so much. And by the time I had uh, been able to, to step back a little bit, my boys were, I think 13 and 14. So I still had, you know, a lot of time with them. And I didn't, I didn't miss as much as, as some people did, but uh, having your own business will will suck the life out of you. Ask any business owner in any one of them. And they'll tell you that if they're doing it right, it's sucking the life out of them. And uh, to be able to, to have an opportunity like we did. And I, I think we weren't, we weren't the first, but we were kind of in that earlier wave of, of, you know, conglomerates buying people up. And, uh, I've, I've seen it happen so much since ours, since, since, uh, rigid sold, uh, it's pretty amazing. I mean, the, the number of, of companies now that are under different wings and it's, uh, it's, it's a wild thing. And, and I think you're right. I think, I think a majority of the time it's not better for the customer, unfortunately, you know, everybody's trying to keep their prices low and, and, uh, with, with competition from overseas and with, you know, we dealt personally with knockoffs and you're dealing with so many expenses that, that, you know, that the general consumer doesn't know, doesn't get to see, you know, it, it was a fight. It was a fight every day to, uh, to accomplish what we did. Right. And I know that when you talk about, you know, the competition and knockoffs, I remember we were, was at a dirt riot race that we were putting on and we, we had some raffle items. We were trying to raise money for, um, I don't remember what charity it was that year, but we did it every year with our backdrop 
awards banner, you know, we'd auction it off and we'd do, you know, had product from different companies and stuff. And this, somebody had come up and said, hey, I got these lights, you know, auction them off. And I couldn't tell you what brand they were. I know that they were, you know, they said made in China um, on the box and everything. But, you know, it was, hey, somebody, somebody would buy a raffle ticket, you know. Yeah. So we, uh, the guy who won it, the, the, I had a friend helping hand the stuff out as we were doing this, calling the numbers and stuff. And the guy that was helping me goes, hey, by the way, there's a switch on the side of this. And when you flip it, flip the switch, goldfish come out. And I looked at him and I was like, what the hell did you just say? And he goes, well, yeah, these things, you know, I had a pair of these and I, and I got rid of them because the first time it rained, they got full of water. You know, it was like fish were living in them. And I was like, and it was just like the, the funniest thing that he said. But I realized that that, that is the case. You can walk around and see all these guys with, with light bars on their Jeeps or, I mean, on their Honda Civics, you know. I mean, anybody yeah. that puts a light bar on the top of a Honda Civic is, I, I, I'm wondering anyway. But, you know, most of them are all fogged out. Um, you know, there's water in them. The, uh, the, the yeah. lens is, is, you know, all crackled or whatever, you know, from the, from the sunlight. Right. Right. And a guy will go, you know, but it only cost me $10. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I used to, that was the argument we always got. Well, I could, you know, I could buy five of these for year one. And I said, well, you know, if you want to install it five times <laughs> and, and have it, you know, not very, very much light. I think hammer of all people, uh, Jeremy calls them glow lights. <laughs> they're like, they're like, uh, they just glow a little bit, but exactly. Uh, yeah, that was, that was a big part of the challenge too. And, and, you know, we spend a lot of time chasing down that stuff and just takes the fun out of it. It really does. But any, anytime you have something good, somebody wants a piece of it. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter what you're doing. Right. So how about your kids? What are, what are your boys into? What are they, what are you doing with them? Well, I've got two boys. Uh, one is 20 and one is 18 and, uh, they're just amazing. They're both, uh, they're both busy. One boy, uh, Mash is my older one. He is um, a firefighter at Vernon Fire Department up in northern Arizona. Okay. Um, part time, and he's he's looking for a full time position, but he's got uh, everything he needs. And you know, in the fire world, it just takes time. But uh, real responsible kid, and 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 great great kid. My other one, Zach, um, he is up in Laramie, Wyoming, going to a, a school called WyoTech. Yep. And learning the automotive trade. So he's about, uh, he's in his fourth month right now. So, uh, he just, just started his fabrication class and actually in three weeks, I'm going to be taking his, uh, he's got a 95 project, uh, Bronco, uh, OBS that we're going to be, I'm going to be taking it up to him and they're going to be putting a roll cage in that at school and he'll be building the, the suspension and all that there as well. So awesome. <clears throat> Excellent. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're, they're good kids. A little weird, you know, we're kind of empty nesters here, my wife and I, and and uh, we're trying to find ways to keep busy that keep us out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> hey, buy a it's boat. A... <laughs> no, 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 no. I, I have a pre-runner and, and that's even worse than a boat. So. <laughs> yeah, we bought a boat a couple of years ago to live on in the wintertime. 
Um, and it's down in the Corpus Christi Bay area. And oh, I nice. love, I love wintering down there. I, I love chasing 70 degrees. Oh yeah. But, uh, yeah. I missed the boat. We haven't been on it since last March because of the health issues here in Northern California with my parents. So, but we're, uh, you know, it's still sitting there. We still have somebody go out and clean it and run it and do the things that needs to be done on a boat that you can't use yep. yet. But it's, uh, <laughs> you know, <laughs> we still have it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's kind of what we did with our cabin. We bought uh, we bought a cabin and it it uh, took us two years to get it back to what it what it was in its heyday. And we just uh, we just enjoy it now. And uh, but the work never stops. You know, the projects never stop. I mentioned my pre-runner. We, we took that out to test after um, actually hammer had done the, the suspension upgrades to it, made some changes and, you know, put our new glass on it. And then I took it out to Sycamore, which is kind of our little runaround area out here. Right. And uh, promptly blew the motor. So, you know, that's just the way these things, that these things go sometimes. So I am now I'm in the motor in the market for a motor and then I can test again and, Maybe even get it painted. Who knows? Who knows? And how big a motor are you going to put into it? Well, I've learned <laughs> that, that the, the motor, the motor that you think you need, is probably smaller than the motor that you want. So we're uh, we're still working on it. It's a it's a Ford, so it's a Ford F one fifty, and uh, we'll we'll go. I, I might go four twenty seven again because I like that Cobra motor uh, in my race truck. You know, it sits at about. 550 525 right with the horsepower and torque and it's it's enough for me to you know i could get into trouble in my race truck because it's just a little f100 um the pre-runner which is a uh a four-door uh, i think i can get in less trouble and still have the power but we'll see we'll see there's there's a lot of options these days so <clears throat> and when is nora this year is it early uh, or nora, late there's two there's a 500 and a thousand okay uh and the exact dates i'd be lying if i if i told you i knew what they were um september is i think the the 500 and then if i recall no i'm not even going to say it because i don't remember anymore but that's part of turning 50 (laughs) (laughs) oh just wait till you get my age then (laughs) oh man yeah i understand i understand (laughs) write things down (laughs) And leave them. <laughs> yep, exactly. And don't put them on exactly. floppy disks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, th- I don't think I have any. Well, I might still have some of those somewhere around here. Because <laughs> <laughs> then all of a sudden they become obsolete and you go, now what do I do? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. <clears throat> oh, so um, so what is, what you know, besides, uh, besides the race truck, what do you think uh, is on the horizon for you and your wife? Any travel plans? Yeah, yeah, we love to travel. We're actually heading to um, uh, Pine Key in the Keys in Florida uh, in March. We're going to do a couple of weeks there. Um, I love that area. Um, and then we spend a lot of time up here at the cabin. And, you know, we, we take her, I take her around quite a bit with, with wood projects. And my, my latest obsession is, is vintage axes, believe it or not. So I'm on the search for any and all old hand forged axes that I can make new handles for and, and uh, collect, I guess, you know, some people say that I should sell some, but I don't like selling things that I like. So I just, I hoard them. So 
if you ever need to chop wood, let me know. That's that's interesting. I may I, I may have some around here somewhere. I'll, I'll take a look. You go ahead and take a look for me. Because I've, I've got and, some uh, from the grandparents, I think. Oh, wow. Well, yeah. Keep me in mind on that, please. And any vintage chainsaws as well. That's my other my other time waster. <laughs> well, so. chainsaws are faster than axes. They are. They're a lot more fun. Right. <laughs> axes <laughs> a take fun. a lot more physical labor. <laughs> yeah. Well, the axes help keep me in shape, that's for sure. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I need to start using an axe. <laughs> <laughs> You come on nah. up anytime. <laughs> come on. Yeah. You know, it's, it's more fun to watch my kids chop wood, to be honest. So. Yes, it is. <laughs> and, and then that way you say, you know, I think your technique is a little off. Try this. You know, that's, that's. Yeah. Yeah. Coaching. Exactly. So I can manage. Yeah. I'm, I'm a much better coach than I am a doer. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, it's, it's a little harder these days to get a, the stuff done that we used to, for sure. Exactly. <clears throat> Well, um, are you doing anything business-wise besides just racing? Or do you have uh, any projects you're working on? Not exactly. You know, I, I thought for a few years that I would get involved with something. And um, to be honest, I think I had I must have had lunch twice a week with, with people for a few years, you know, just throwing ideas around and people think of something and I listen to it and, and – uh, no, I think I just decided that uh, I've done that part of my life. And, you know, unless something really special comes up and, and bites me, I'm probably going to stay at the pace I'm at. I really, I really enjoy it. That's awesome. Well, congratulations yeah. on being able to do that. Well, thank you. Thank you very much. And with it's that, a blessing for sure. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, I'm going to say thank you so much for spending some time with us and, and talking about your history and, uh, Growing up and racing and, and Ridgen Industries and Dragonfire and everything else. Not a problem. I appreciate it, Rich, very much. And uh, next time I come down to Arizona, which is going to be about a month, um, I'll have to see about uh, about getting the three of us together, you and Hammer and myself, and grab a lunch and a, and a cold one somewhere. For sure. We all like food. Yes. <laughs> and then comes the axes. <laughs> yeah, and bring those axes with you too, buddy. There you go. All right. I All want right. to say thank you so much. You bet. Thanks, Rich. You have All a good right. one. You take care. Bye. All right. Bye. Well, that's another episode of Conversations with Big Rich. I'd like to thank you all for listening. If you could do us a favor and uh, leave us a review on any podcast service that you happen to be listening on, or send us an email or a text message or a Facebook message, And let me know uh, any ideas that you have, or if there's anybody that you have that you think would be a great guest, please forward the contact information to me so that we can uh, try to get them on. And always remember, live life to the fullest. Enjoying life is a must. Follow your dreams and live life with all the gusto you can. Thank you.